Father, as we just dive now into this amazing prayer that changed the world, God, I pray that through it all we won't just think about a prayer, but we will think a lot about our God, about our God who opened up heaven and eternal life now, that we could have that life with you, that we could connect with you, that we could communicate with you, that we could know what's on your heart and you know what's on ours. God, we thank you. Lord, I pray that we'll enter in to that relationship that we have with you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you take your seats, just take a look at the screen. Here's the introduction for Revolution Part 2. What do you think of when you hear the word prayer? What word instinctively comes to mind? Guilty? Inadequate? Overwhelmed? Confused? Or is it excited? Passionate? We know we should pray, and actually I think we want to pray. We want to communicate with God. We want to know what's on God's heart, and we want God to know what's on our heart. So why do we find it so hard? The dilemma is not new to us. Thousands of years ago, Jesus was on a hillside praying. His disciples were watching. They were waiting. They were intrigued. At the end of his prayer time, one of them went up to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus began teaching them a certain prayer. It began like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know it, of course, as the Lord's Prayer. But when Jesus began to teach that prayer, it began a revolution that changed the world. The prayer is slightly different in Matthew and Luke's versions in their Gospels. And then the early church added a bit on the end of the prayer called a doxology. Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. But then the prayer became this one act of worship that united believers all across the world, regardless of any divisions or differences that they had. But you know, the prayer was never meant just to be a pattern or a framework. Those early disciples, when they saw the prayer life of Jesus, the connection he had with his Father, when they saw the life that flowed from that, they saw the power and the peace and the poise that Jesus had. They wanted that. And do you know what? So do I. The prayer covers all aspects of life and faith. You can use it as a framework to follow, or you can use it as a cry from deep within your soul. Originally written in Aramaic, which is a rich language that has so many different levels of meaning. In fact, every line could be translated slightly differently into English. The great Christian revolutions don't come by discovering something new. They come when somebody radically lives out what was always there. This prayer started a revolution that changed the world. The question is this, is it changing your world? Our Father in heaven, O thou from whom the breath of life comes, O birth, Father, Mother of the cosmos, hallowed be your name, focus your light within us. May your light be experienced in my utmost holiness. Your kingdom come, create your reign of unity now. Your heavenly domain approach, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. Just as on earth, through our fiery hearts and we.
Give us today our daily bread. Give us wisdom, understanding, assist. Forgive us our sins. Untangle the knots within. Detach the fetters and faults that bind. As we forgive those who sin against us. Like we let go of the guilt of others. That we commend our hearts. Lead us not into temptation. Let us not be lost in superficial things. Don't let surface things. Materialism, common temptations. But deliver us from evil. But let us be free. What holds us back from our true purpose. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours. The song that beautifies the astonishing fire and renews itself from age to age, turning light and sound to the cosmos. Now and forever. Sealed in trust, faith, and truth. Amen. 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 If you've got your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Thank you. Put some light up here, Chris. Tart. I can read it. And verse 5, and it says this, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask them. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Luke chapter 11, um, the same kind of prayer comes in in the context of Jesus on a hillside praying, as I said on the video there, and the disciples watched Jesus connecting to his Father. And they said, what is it that you've got which is so powerful? And they wanted that. And as we look at this prayer that changed the world, I want you to notice that it isn't about a prayer that changed the world. It's about a relationship. It's about a connection. How many of you found that your prayer life is perfect and it couldn't be improved in any way? Yeah, that's what I suspect. It's one of those areas, isn't it, where I've never met anybody who said, you know what, I pray just enough. Nobody ever says that. We all struggle with this whole thing of prayer. To the Jews, prayer is the highest ideal in their spirituality and in their faith. But by the time Jesus appeared on the earth, it had got so misguided in terms of its application that prayer was a real challenge. And you see, what had happened for the Jews is that prayer had become formalised. It had become static. There was a prayer for every occasion and every event. There was no vitality anymore. It had become regulated to certain times and certain places. It had become long. You measured the effectiveness of someone's prayer by how long it was. And yet in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 2, it says, Do not be quick with your mouth. It's a great word for me, that one. Or do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. But for the Jewish people, by the time of Jesus, they disregarded that and they wanted their words to be many. They thought the more words, the more fancy words, the more eloquent the words, then the more God will hear me. And that's, of course, not true. It reminds me of a, when I was growing up, I was growing up in the, in the Salvation Army. It was the church that I grew up in. And I remember this little old lady that used to sit at the back. And occasionally she would pray out loud in a very simple black country, down-to-earth way. And one Sunday she was praying for people that were in the, in, the, in the armed forces. And so she prayed, Dear Lord, please bless the sailors, the soldiers, and all the airy men. And um, just that simplicity, do you know what I mean? And that just no... 
kind of graces or anything. Just praying it out. That's what God wants. Just that reality. And this prayer was instituted because for the Jews, prayer had become all of this stuff. A formula, static, regulated, long. It had become repetitious, almost hypnotic. And it had become self-glorifying. Jesus says it there, you know, don't be like, they're all standing on the street corners with their arms up and speaking loud so that everyone could see them and see how spiritual that they are. It reminded me actually, I was just laughing about this just just when I was reading it through this morning. Because on Friday, um, 11 of us leaders from the Dudley Borough, we went on a prayer walk from Merry Hill right the way through to here. We finished here actually. I've never walked from Merry Hill to here. In fact, I went on the bus to get there. That was an amazing experience. I don't think I've been on a bus around here for years. And, and then it, we were walking back and it was brilliant actually because we walked past all the churches and, and, and we prayed for businesses and we prayed for schools and we prayed for, we prayed over two suicide spots that exist between Merry Hill and here. Did you know that? There's a bridge in Forge Lane in Cradley where a girl just jumped just recently and all the flowers are there and we just prayed there for that family and pray for others who feel that life is so desperate that they have to do that. And then right here at the multi-story car park where two people have jumped in the last year or so. And we prayed and it was really funny because as we, as we came, we were praying outside this, this multi-story and there was nobody there. So there was all of us, quite charismatic, loud, and all outside and this lady just walked past from Wilkinson's. She's like, looked at us like, ah. literally like, just like, because we were all, and then we all realized it and just like, oh. but that's not what, what we were doing here, right? So we thought nobody was there. So we were kind of going for it. But in the days of Jesus, in the days of Jesus, people would wait until someone looked before they put their arms up and they begin to pray out. And Jesus came along and said, guys, that's not the way to connect with your father. That's not the way to connect with your father. And he instituted this prayer, which was never meant just to be a formula, because it can become all of that. It was meant to be a way into life. It was meant to be a way into life with the father. How many of you want that? A way into life with God the father. Notice that the first three petitions of the prayer are all to do with God and his glory. The second three are all to do with us and our needs. The three essential needs of human existence are covered in this prayer. The three time dimensions are covered in this prayer. Give us this day our daily bread is the present. Forgive us our sins is the past. Lead us not into temptation is the future. The three aspects of the Trinity are covered in the prayer. The bread speaks of the Father. Forgiveness speaks of the Son. Lead us not into temptation speaks of the Spirit. This is a phenomenal prayer. Do you know that? And many of you will know it. You perhaps said it when you were a kid or at school or whatever. Some of you may not know it. But this is much more than a routine prayer. This is about an entrance into life with God. And that's what prayer is, isn't it? That's what prayer is. Prayer is an entrance into life with God. It's a, it's a communication channel. It's a conduit where the life of God flows into our life. And what we're going to do this morning is I'm not going to teach on it. We're going to experience it. Is that okay? So for the next hour, we're going to travel through the six aspects of this prayer. And we're going to experience it. In different ways. And my hope and prayer for you this morning is that it just opens up something in terms of your relationship with God. And if you're not a Christian this morning and you you don't know what this is all about, I want you to know God knows you. Do you know that? And God, more than anything, wants to have a living, vibrant, dynamic relationship with you. You could pray a prayer today that begins that journey. Very, very simple. And we'll talk about that later. So the first part of the prayer is, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. This talks about three important questions when it comes to prayer. Who are we praying to? Because we are praying to someone. 
And Jesus said, our Father, give it a name, give him a name, a personality, a person. You're not just talking to the air, you're talking to your Father. And that isn't a masculine thing, it's about that primal relationship, that connection uh, that God wants to have with us. And notice it's our Father, not my Father, not singular, individual, it's ours, it's in the context of community. And where is this God that we talk to? Well, our Father in heaven. So immediately we think he's out there beyond us. But the word heaven in the original language is in its plural sense and it can mean a variety of things. So it can actually mean atmosphere, sky, or it can mean the air all around us. So we talk to our father and where is he? Well, he is beyond us, but he is right by us. He's actually closer than the air that we breathe. That's who he is, isn't it? So whenever you pray and whenever you're aware of God, you need to know that the God that you're aware of is not in a galaxy far, far away. Aren't you pleased about that? But he is closer than the air that you breathe. And what should we pray? The first thing Jesus says we should pray for is this, hallowed be your name. I get it wrong here so many times, don't you? When we come to pray, how many of you like me? First prayer is, dear God, help, or dear God, give me this. But the first thing that we pray is, hallowed be your name. And that word hallowed means holy or set apart or unique. And it's like Jesus is saying, you know, when you begin to pray, pray this. Let your name, God, be uniquely respected, treasured, loved more than any other name. Then the meaning goes on, and let your name be unique, so much so that I live in such a way that you have no hesitation in signing your name to my day. Wouldn't that be an awesome prayer to pray tomorrow? So let me live in such a way today, tomorrow, that you'd have no hesitation in signing your name to my day. You know, many people think that prayer is about us trying to get God to do what we want him to do. It is not that. Prayer is about us lining ourselves up with who God is and what God's will is. It's not about us trying to twist God's arm. It's saying, God, let your name be hallowed. Let you be unique and let me live in such a way that you'd have no hesitation in signing up your name to my day. So we're going to do that this morning. We're going to enter into this first part of the prayer. And what better way to do that than through worship? So let's stand. youth could make their way out as you continue to look at this prayer guys you know this sense of just hallowing the name of the Lord is really important and you don't have to have a full band and a full congregation of people to do that when you come and pray but you know but just to pause and say God hallow be your name let me live like that let me line myself up with you Lord let my life reflect your glory that's the right place to start isn't it as we come and as we pray and then Jesus says and then pray your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven what is the kingdom of God you know it's really the range of God's effective will it's where Jesus is king and the values of the kingdom are what's lived out how many of you know that's not our world in many ways that's not our world is it and when we pray this prayer we can pray this prayer individually like personally Max Licato puts it like this. When you say your kingdom come, you're inviting the Messiah himself to walk into your world. Come, my king, take your throne in our land. Be present in my heart. Be present in my office. Be present in my marriage. Be Lord of my family, my fears and my doubts. This is no feeble request. It's a bold appeal for God to occupy every corner of your life. 
Tomorrow, how many of you will be going somewhere? Yeah, you'll be going somewhere, won't you? That place you go, let's pray, you know, tomorrow, my kingdom come, your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done. As I go to this place, whether it's my office or my school or my college or wherever, the community. But we can also not just pray it personally, we can pray it corporately as well. And just in a few weeks, um, we're building up to this global day of prayer. There's some leaflets for this at the back. And um, global day of prayer is happening all around the globe, as it says in the name, on the 12th of June. And in the Dudley Borough, and I know that not all of you live in the Dudley Borough, so forgive us for that, but that's where we're located as a building anyway. In the Dudley Borough, we're meeting at Amblecote Christian Centre on the 12th of June between 4 and 7. You can just drop in for half an hour, an hour, whatever. And in the build-up to that, we're praying, and we're praying this prayer that's on the back of this sheet. And what we're going to do right now is we're going to pray it together as a corporate act of prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm going to ask Dan to come and to get something to put before you so that you don't just think we're praying abstract here. We're just praying nice ideas, nice words, nice phrases. But we're praying for real people in real towns, in real villages, in real communities across this borough that we call the Dudley Borough. So that's where it is. Some of you live in there. Some of you don't, and that's fine. You can still pray for us that do live in Dudley because we need the prayers. Okay? So that'll be good. So the prayer's going to come up, and we're going to do this together. So let's pray. Let's pray. We declare you to be the great and awesome God of all the earth, including Dudley. Look upon Dudley with your loving kindness, mercy and grace, we pray. We confess that we, the people of Dudley, have sinned. We have turned away from you. We have rebelled now and in the past. We have walked after other gods. We humble ourselves before you, O Lord, and we ask you to forgive us our sins. We pray that you would heal our land, the borough of Dudley. Where there is darkness, bring your great light. Where there is hopelessness, be our hope. Where there is brokenness, bring your healing. For those held captive, physically, emotionally or spiritually, bring freedom and liberty. Comfort all who mourn. Reconcile the divided. And as we humble ourselves, unite us, O Lord. Raise up the former devastations. Repair our city. Rebuild the ancient ruins. We pray for new and innovative business to be birthed in our area. We pray for those who lead us in every sphere of life. May they lead us righteously with wisdom, humility and compassion. We pray that you would create a place of justice, peace and tranquility in Dudley. We pray for a healing river and for many to be physically, emotionally, and spiritually transformed. We ask you, hear from heaven, and heal our land, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, on Friday, just hold for one second, on Friday we had this experience of walking uh, from Mary Hill, and as we walked up towards Quarry Bank, at the top of Quarry Bank there's an an Anglican church, uh, um, I'm not quite sure what it's called, but it's on the corner. None of us ministers really were, were Anglican, and so we didn't know much about it. But we started to pray for the church outside, and the church warden was there, a very elderly gentleman who came out and said, oh, what are you doing? And, you know, come inside. And he took us into the church, and he's a lovely guy. 
And he began to talk about the church. There's a very handful of people in a big old building and they got lots of needs. And he was t- telling us about the pews and the problem with the organ and with the windows and all that. And that was fine. And we just said, look, could we just pray for you? And we just stopped him. We said, we just want to pray for you and we want to pray for this church. And we're all a little bit out there. Some of, some of the guys are, okay, I'm very reserved compared to them. And, uh, and we were all like, and there's one guy kneeling down. And, someone, and the, the, bless him, the, the bloke was like, oh, what is this? And we just prayed and prayed and then it stopped. And then he said, and we need to replace that window. And we need to replace that window and that window. And bless him. And we said, that's great, but we want to pray for you. And we want to pray for this church. And we just continued to pray. And do you know what? After we'd prayed a bit, he then prayed. And there's like a tear in his eye. And he said, God, thank you. I didn't expect this today, that these guys have come in and prayed for our church. And it's just lifted me. And I just walked away from that thinking, God. And we, we went past loads of churches between Merry Hill and here. Lots of them were like that. Many of them didn't have leaders. Many of them didn't have people, to be honest with you. And I just thought, wouldn't it be awesome today if we could pray for churches in this area? Could we do that? So you may never have done this before. And if you're a visitor, don't get freaked out. But I want you just to turn to people around you just for a minute. Would you just pray for all of the churches in the little bit? Because they're not all competitors. We're all part of the kingdom. And we're praying your kingdom come, your will be done. And we want every single expression of the kingdom of God to flourish and to prosper across this area. So could you do that? Just turn to the people next to you. And just for a minute, whether you want to sit or stand, whatever you want to do, and just pray for those churches. Pray for the leaders. Pray for the people that will be gathering. Pray blessing upon those churches in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for this simple phrase that you gave us. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, as we pray for churches across this area God we pray for your kingdom to come through those expressions the older ones the new ones the loud ones the quiet ones the chaotic ones the ordered ones Lord we pray that the kingdom of God would express itself through these gateways all across this area we pray in Jesus name amen just take your seats for a moment the prayer then moves on to us really in this phrase give us this day our daily bread and to the Jewish hearer when they hear give us this day our daily bread they immediately think about Exodus chapter 16 which is when the children of Israel were wandering around the wilderness and they had no food and God provided manna miraculously from heaven and the interesting thing about that was that God said don't collect it all up because I'll do it daily and the point is that there's something here that Jesus wants beyond bread and beyond provision it's that daily dependence on God it's this idea that today you're connected to God who is the provider and he has all the provisions and tomorrow it'll be exactly the same so you don't need to worry about tomorrow what's really important is that you're in daily connection to your God your provider right now give us this day our daily bread and this is about praying for daily needs praying for those things that we need and I'm going to ask Dan just to reveal what's underneath that table there. And it was quite funny actually last night that um, Alison, we had this idea of just coming back from where we were yesterday afternoon and went into Asda and it was like close a place so all that bread's really cheap. Do you know what I mean at the end of the day? But, <laughs> but, but, but the woman said to Alison, are you having a party tonight because all these different kinds of bread? And she said, I wish. No, she said, no, it's for church tomorrow. The woman said, church? Like how many people are there? 
They're really hungry, she said. Now we didn't, and we just explained the church. And then she said, and what church is that? And Alison told her, and she said, oh, I've heard a lot about that church. I might come and all this kind of stuff in Asda, which was quite strange. But we got all this bread because we wanted you to see that, okay? And, and then we want you to experience that as well, okay? And it is fresh enough-ish. So what we're going to do is, and there are different kinds of bread there because there's all different kinds of need here, isn't there? Because you're all different people. And so for some of you, give us this day our daily bread is a specific tangible, physical thing. You need a job. You need money. You need the answer to something. You need something physical and tangible. For some of you, it's not like that. It's emotional. That's what you need today. Some of you, it's relational. But you need something today. And God says, that's great. Come and ask me for it. Be specific. But then trust the chef as he presents the food to you. You see, some days... Some days, our daily bread, if you like, will be caviar. Some days it will be cabbage. We need to trust God. Having just come back from Africa a few weeks ago, it redefines food, you know, when you go to a place where there isn't any food. And I look at all the food that I turn my nose up at and don't eat and eat too much of. And then you go to a place like that and you realize that food means something different in different contexts. And so today we're not praying for our wants, we're praying for our needs. And we're trusting the cook, the chef, And we're coming and we're praying with gratitude, with grateful hearts, because that's really, really important. So what we want you to do this morning is that Kirsty's going to sing this song over you this morning, and then we'll join in with it a little later. It's a song that you know. It talks about, you know, that you're my daily bread, the very word of God, the presence of God. And what we're going to do is we're going to encourage you to come and to take a piece of bread and to eat it. And as you eat it, to bring your prayer requests to God. And let that be symbolic of the fact that God is your provider who provides daily because he is the provider. And tomorrow, he's exactly the same. So if you're worried about tomorrow, just take the bread again to remind you that God is the provider. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. He'll meet your need today and he'll meet your need tomorrow because that's who he is. And we need to trust him and to come with gratitude. And as you come and take that piece of bread, talk to God just in your own way and bring those requests to him. So as, as Kirsty sings this then, any of you that want to come, just come and take the bread and eat. And we'll see where we go. You know, the, I think, you know, when Jesus was tempted in the desert and he said to the devil, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. So there's a sense in which bread, we see it at a surface level of our need, but we see it deeper than that. as that spiritual need, the word of God. And I just really sense that some of us need to go beyond the surface of bread. And we need the Word of God. That's our daily bread. We need the Word of God into our situation. And I just sense, sensed it really strongly at the first service, this, this word lost. And I had a picture at the first. I don't know that it's relevant for here or not. I had a picture of a, it doesn't happen to me very often, very, very clear of a child that was lost in a big shopping mall. And just that immediate, that that panic of turning around and thinking where's mom and dad and and all of a sudden then feeling very small because mom and dad aren't there and you're just surrounded by all these people and I just sensed that there were people that feel lost and I don't know whether that's relevant for here or just for the first service or not but that sense in which all of a sudden something has gone from beside you and now you feel lost and you feel small and you hear noise and lights all around you and there's a fear and God wants to speak to you and he says wants to say you're not lost from my sight No matter how you feel, you are never lost from my sight. But some of us may be lost in our life right now. We need a word of God as daily bread. Let's just wait on him. Let's just wait on him and pray. Father, I want to pray that, Lord, that you'd speak. 
that you'd speak that fresh bread of life into our lives. When we pray, it's not just about us all saying, God, here, I'm going to pray, blah, 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 and just rabbit in off loads of stuff. Sometimes it's waiting, letting you speak. Because it's not about a framework, it's about a relationship. You said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures diligently, but you don't come to me to have life. God, we eat and we live on the bread of God, the word of God. So Lord, speak, I pray. Speak into lives, I pray, right now as we wait on you. Jesus. Someone here today and you're here because a friend brought you. And uh, you're intrigued, you're interested, but you, you, right now you're feeling really strange. And I believe that God wants you to know that you're not here by accident or by choice. And your life is not by accident or by choice. And you may think that it is. You may have had people speak over you that you were an accident, that you shouldn't have existed even. But I believe that God wants to say that before the, the foundation of the world, I knew you. I knew you in your mother's womb. I formed you. I shaped you. And what other people may have said is a mistake is in my design. And I have a plan and a purpose for you. And you're not here by accident or by choice. And open up your heart, says God. Open up your heart. I'm a loving God. Jesus says if a, father, if a son asks a father for you know, a, a, an egg, he doesn't give him a, a scorpion or, or a snake. And I'll give you good things. And your fears and your preconceptions, ideas about who I am are not right. And I want to reveal to you, says God, that I'm a loving God. I'm not like those who've treated you that way in the past, but I'm a loving God. Open up your heart to me, says the Lord. Open up your heart. Father. Jesus. Take your seats for a moment. And if that's for you, just Talk to someone about it. You know, these next two things in this um, uh, prayer are interesting. And I want to link them together, actually, because I think there is a link. When Jesus says, you know, when you pray, pray, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, or forgiven our sins, or forgive our trespasses. It's basically, forgive us as we forgive other people who've hurt us. And then he goes on to say, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I think there's a link between forgiveness and between temptation and sin. And this is the link. The link isn't that God isn't saying you must forgive people and you must not be naughty. All right? That's what we say. We say, all right, God says I have to forgive people. Go on, then I will. And I must not be naughty. That's not what it's saying. See, why Jesus puts these things in the prayer is this. Because God knows, Jesus knows that the two things that will block the life of God in your life mostly are unforgiveness and sin. That's why these are in the prayer. Because if you want to experience the life of God, you will not experience the life of God if there is unforgiveness or if there's sin. It's like there are blockages. They are coming and they shut down your heart and you can't experience the life of God. And so he says, this isn't for my benefit. This is for your benefit. If you forgive people and you let forgiveness work in you and through you, and if you deal with temptation and sin in your life, you will have a much better chance of the life of God flowing through you than if you didn't do that. Does that make sense? 
And so when we come to this part of the, of the prayer, you need to know this isn't because God is saying, right, I want to just kind of force you to do this because I'm some kind of commander or dictator. God asks us to forgive because he knows that's the best way for us to live life. You see, if you harbour unforgiveness or bitterness to someone, you're the one that ends up in prison. But also, in some cases, so does the other person. And you have it within your gift to release yourself and to a degree to release them as well. Especially in the context of Christian community. And let me read this to you from a a book I've been reading recently. Just some stories and really. And I want to read just what this person says about forgiveness because I think it's really important and totally lost my page. (laughs) Here we go. Um, Do you remember the Peanuts cartoon series, Charlie Brown, all that stuff? So she says this, in a Peanuts episode by cartoonist Charles Schultz, Lucy declared to Linus, I love mankind, it's people I can't stand. Anyone ever thought like that? I readily understand Lucy's dilemma. I can be so committed to loving others when I'm alone, but let me get out of my room and I'm continually challenged to be kind and loving. As I've tried to understand why it's hard for me to love others sincerely, I've come to realise the depth of my selfishness and strong commitment to protect my rights. I have a right to be loved first. I have a right to be treated kindly. I have a right not to suffer. I have a right to repay those who hurt me. Why should I love those who are unkind? How can I love those who wound me? How can I be expected to lay down my life for those who don't appreciate me? Why should I be asked to love others, not just as I love myself, but as Christ loves me unconditionally, no ifs, ands or buts. It's so hard, but it is the law of Christ. And if I am his child and I want to please him, I need to obey. But why is this the law of Christ? Why are we asked to fulfill this one command? Listen to this. One of the reasons we're asked to love in this way is that it is the very best way for us to live. Love is the excellent way. Love heals, love blesses, not only the recipient, but also the giver. It frees the lover from having to protect self. Love is full of grace. Anger and bitterness destroy and divide. Anger and bitterness demand retribution and require emotional energy. They produce anxiety, tension and loss of hope. God doesn't want us to live this way. It is because he loves us that he's commanded us to love. Did you hear that? It is because he loves us That he has commanded us to love. Because God is our maker and creator. He knows how we're wired. He knows how we best live this thing called life. We can love because we're loved perfectly by him. His love is enough. He is our protector and shield. We no longer have to defend ourselves or battle for our rights. He has promised to repay any wrongs we've suffered. We are free to experience the freedom and blessing of forgiveness. We can rest in his justice and mercy. We can now just love and be loved because he is the God of all grace. Isn't that great? And because God loves us, he's called us to forgive and to love other people who have hurt us. When was the last time in your prayer time you prayed for someone who has hurt you or wronged you? I'll tell you, it is the way to freedom. It's the way to freedom. It's opening up our heart to let the healer begin to set us free. And leading us not into temptation is about opening up our heart to the potential that we, if we're not careful, can sin. I don't know that you realize that. Some of you think, not me. You. You and me. We're all, aren't we? We're all open to that. 
There's a difference between tempting and testing. God tests us in order to develop our faith, but the devil tempts us in order that our faith would fail and fall. And often the word in the original language is temptation, when really it means testing. It's kind of an interchangeable word. But you need to understand, God never tempts us to sin. He tests us to faith. The devil is the one that tempts us to sin. Sometimes they can look like the same thing. So so God uh, uh, leads Jesus to the desert to test him, but the devil pitches up in the desert to tempt him. All right, so you could think it's the same thing. It's not. God's motivation is to strengthen him. The devil's motivation is to bring him down. And I want you to just look quickly at some verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, because this is really, really important scripture. I think we, we know this, but we forget it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12 and 13, it says this. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. What the scripture is saying is that nobody is immune from temptation. Okay, if you think you're standing firm, be careful, you may fall. There's an experiment uh, on some kids years ago, not on kids, all right, so bear with me, all right, they get freaked out. But they basically had all these four-year-old kids in this laboratory uh, experiment, and they put a marshmallow on a table in front. And the guy that was doing it said, right, kids, I'm going to go for a bit, and I'm going to come back. Don't eat the marshmallow. If, if you don't eat it, then you're going to get reward later. All right, so he walks out. He comes back in. Of course, some of the kids had eaten the marshmallow and some hadn't. And then they studied these kids as they grew up. And do you know what they found? They found that those kids that didn't eat the marshmallow, that waited, that when they grew up, they were more socially competent. They were more decisive. They had a better self-esteem. They had less anger problems, a lower rate of delinquency, and a lower rate of divorce. There's something about the resisting, the delayed gratification, the not giving in to our urges, which produces something amazing in us. Now, here's the thing. We all have marshmallows. Mine is not the same as yours. Yours is not the same as mine. But we all have those things that we are prone to. And they're not always the obvious things, the sex and the food and the sales shopping and the pornography and all of that. They can be other things as well because temptation is anything that pulls you away from God. Anything that pulls you away from that connection of life can be something that tempts you. Bitterness can do it for sure. Busyness can do it for sure. Disappointment can do it. Disillusionment can do it. And when it happens, what happens is that it's like concrete is poured over our hearts and the life connection with the Father is stopped. And so Jesus says 2,000 years ago, when you pray, make sure that you're opening your heart to the healer who can set you free. Forgiveness. Temptation. Openness to the Spirit of God is so important if you want to enjoy the life of God. And then this verse says, God is faithful. And when you're tempted, he will always provide a way out. If somebody ever said, I couldn't help it, do you know what? That's not true. There is always a way out of temptation. And what I want to do this morning is I want to lead you in something which is quite an ancient thing. And we don't do it in our church tradition. But I want to lead you in some corporate confession and asking for forgiveness. So I'd like you to stand with me for a moment. And I'm going to read a prayer, which is a Celtic prayer. And I'm going to read it out to you first so that you know what you're going to be saying in a minute. And then if you want to, 
to God. I'm going to then read a line and I want, you, I want us all to just to read that line out together. And if you don't want to do it, don't do it because God listens to it very importantly. But if you want to, then join with me. So let me read it first and then I'll go back. It says this, Jesus, forgive my sins. Forgive the sins that I can remember and also the sins I have forgotten. Forgive the wrong actions I have committed and the right actions I have omitted. Forgive the times I've been weak in the face of temptation and those when I've been stubborn in the face of correction. Forgive the times I've been proud of my own achievements and those when I failed to boast of your works. Forgive the harsh judgments I've made of others and the leniency I have shown to myself. Forgive the lies I've told to others and the truths I have avoided. Forgive me the pain I have caused others and the indulgence I have shown to myself. Jesus, have pity on me and make me whole. It's an awesome prayer, isn't it? So before God, if you want to join with me, then repeat the line. and Let's speak it out loud together. Jesus, forgive my sins. Forgive the sins that I can remember. And also the sins I have forgotten. Forgive the wrong actions I have committed. And the right actions I have omitted. Forgive the times I have been weak in the face of temptation. And when I have, I have been stubborn in the face of correction. Forgive the times I've been proud of my own achievements. And when I have failed to boast of your works. Forgive the harsh judgments I've made of others. And the leniency I have shown to myself. Forgive the lies I have told to others. And the truths I have avoided. Forgive me the pain I have caused others. And the indulgence I have shown to myself. Jesus have pity on me. And make me whole. Father, we keep our hearts open to you right now. Holy Spirit, I just ask you to come and to open up our hearts to your presence. Lord, prayer is not just about the words we say. It's about our heart. It's about that concrete that can cover over. It's about allowing you to warm our heart. It's about dealing with issues in our life. It's about us opening up and letting you set us free. And so, Lord, forgive us and lead us not into temptation. Deliver us. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that is really close to the evil one right now, that there are things going on in our lives. And, Lord, there's darkness. God, your word says that when we bring things into the light, the power of darkness is destroyed. And so, Lord, we open up our hearts and we ask you, Holy Spirit, to shine your light upon us in Jesus' name. You know, it's a fabulous prayer that God has given us, isn't it? And I just like in the notes there for you this week, why don't you just try and take it and use it as a framework, but not as a framework in, as an end in itself, but to connect with the life of God. So even tomorrow, just work with, hallowed be your name. What does it mean? 
Tuesday, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done. Wednesday, give us this day our daily bread. Or use it however you want to, but use it. It's a revolution that changed the world. That one prayer that unites us across all of our other divisions that we've got is a fabulous thing. And, you know, the early church kind of wanted to wrap it up, you know, and so they put this what's called a doxology around it. Yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And I think it's a great way to finish because it kind of comes full circle. Yours is the kingdom and I surrender. I mean, just illustrative for you. I imagine that I finish my work here, okay? I work more than one day a week, contrary to popular opinion. And I go, I go and I walk through the door and in, I go through the door and, and there's my paper waiting for me to read and my slippers there and my tea and the, the dinner's in the oven. What's going on there? I've gone to the wrong house. It's a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. What's, what's going <laughs> See, at the nine, that was okay. It's not okay now. There's forgiveness issues that need to go on here. See, it's temptation. I couldn't help it. No, I'm joking. What's going on there is that if I live like that, then it's all about me and my kingdom, and it's not. And the prayer all, it comes back to this, yours is the kingdom. It's not about me. Yours is the kingdom, and I surrender. Yours is the power. How many of you need power in your life? You know, prayer, in its simplest forms, is narrowing the time gap between when you need power and when you ask God for it really is. It's about that communication with God. So yours is the kingdom and I surrender. Yours is the power and I ask for it. Yours is the glory and I worship you. And so the prayer comes full circle. It starts, our Father is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And it ends that yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory for and ever, ever and ever. Amen. So why don't we finish there?